Well, hello and welcome to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church member podcast designed to give people the inside scoop on life in our church. Here's our host and lead pastor, Jeff Lockyer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. Uh, Really excited given the series that we're in. Uh, to introduce all of you to someone who actually is going to be participating in our weekend message series in a couple weeks, a pastor out of Hamilton named Leanne Friesen. Leanne, uh, welcome here and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, We don't really know you all that well, so if you could just sort of start off by giving us a bit of a background on who you are and your story and everything that's Mm -hmm. relevant for us to become acquainted with what 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 Leanne's world is all about. Sure. Well, I guess I could start by saying um, I'm a lead pastor at a church called Mount Hamilton Baptist Church in Hamilton, Ontario, so not too far from all of you. I've been there for 17 and a half years. So, of course, my, uh, my favorite pastor joke is I started when I was 12, which is not really true, but I have been there for quite some time. Um, it's a wonderful community in Hamilton, lots of different ages and backgrounds and perspectives trying to follow Jesus together. Um, it's a joy to serve there. I also sit on the Jesus Collective Board. I've been part of the Theology Circle, and a couple of years ago, I came into this Jesus Collective group that I know is uh, something that your church has uh, also been exploring, and that there's this idea of Jesus-centeredness is important to all of you, and certainly in this series. Um, in terms of my personal life and things about me, um, I'm married. I have two kids. They are 15 and 12. I grew up in Newfoundland, which many people uh, find interesting. So if you uh, hear a little hint of a, an accent there, it might sneak out. And uh, what else would you like to know? I guess I'd like to know your take since you started uh, being a pastor when you were 12. And I started around when yeah, I, was I was 12. 12. I make that same joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <how laughs> it's classic. And, and people laugh every time. It's very gracious of them. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the youthful exuberance of that joke. Um, <laughs> how have you felt about kind of doing the single long run? you know, as opposed to moving around or kind of being itinerant in different mm-hmm. spots, like mm-hmm. to be camped out in one localized, you know, kind of close relationship church family for such a long period of time. We've got a lot of that uh, in our context as well. Yeah. You found that yeah. to be a benefit or is it like a profit, no honor in their hometown kind of thing? <laughs> well, you know, it's been a surprise. And so I, as I said, I grew up in Newfoundland. I came to Hamilton to go to seminary, McMaster Divinity College. Uh, didn't know it was a Baptist seminary, ended up landing in that tradition as a place I thought God could uh, use me, my gifts well, and never really liked Hamilton with no offense to Hamilton. I love it now. But of course, we all know the Hamilton jokes. I'd basically just seen, you know, the Mordor looking section of Hamilton. And so I was very much planning to either go home or, or go somewhere else. Like I, I was young. I was uh, 24 when I started seminary. I, I just was willing to end up anywhere. And I met my husband the first day of seminary, totally classic, did all the classic things. We were married within a year. Um, and he's from Vancouver Island. And so we're from different parts of Canada and two of the most beautiful places in the world. And, and now we live in Hamilton, which is also beautiful, of course, but we often joke about how we've ended up in this, you know, right in the center with no ocean around us. 
Um, so he was doing um, a two-year theological studies degree. I was doing an MDiv. And when we graduated, you know, all along it was like, where are we going to get jobs? Where are we going to find these jobs as pastors together? Um, sorry if this is the longer version of the story, but it connects, I promise. And so he graduated a year before me. And the plan was always that um, we would wait until I graduated to sort of look for something more permanent for a couple of reasons. I felt a very deep call to pastoral ministry. He was definitely called to the church, but open to very many different ways that could look. And in our tradition, although they were Dane women, it was notoriously stated, it's hard to find a job as a woman. So the assumption was I find a job and he'll follow and we'll make it work. Um, but there was lots of nervousness around that. So the few months before I graduated, he got a job in what's called an interim position. This is a thing Baptists do when pastors step down. So Mount Hamilton Baptist Church had had a senior pastor and a youth pastor who stepped down unrelated the same Sunday. They just both felt called away. The church was doing well. So they hired an interim associate, an interim uh, lead pastor. And my husband got this interim associate job, which was perfect because it ended a week after my graduation. And we figured then we could go look for something together. Uh, in the midst of this, later in that winter, this was in the fall, um, we get I get this call from their hiring team saying, we'd like to interview you for the lead pastor position that we're hiring because we really love Dallas. That's my husband's name. And uh, we're aware that we can't keep him with, if you can't stay. <laughs> it was all a weird thing. And then they said, but you're not going to get the job. Like, it's it's just like, you know, you're too young. You don't have experience. So, I mean, we still laugh when we talk about when he left. We're like, awesome. That was a strange conversation. I'm not, I'm not sure how me interviewing me for a job I'm not going to get shows love or care, but sure. Um, and of course, long story short, I did get the job. So I ended up getting this job. It started like a week after graduation in Hamilton. I was the lead pastor. My husband was the associate pastor uh, based on our gifts, callings, and so on, which in and of itself, of course, was unique and strange and Lots of people have feelings about that. And we did ministry together for 10 years, and now he's in a parachurch uh, organization. But um, we we just kind of ended up here. Like, we didn't mean to stay in Hamilton. This, this is the thing, right? It was like, we got a job, and why wouldn't we take it in this situation that just, you know, was almost too good to be true, even though I don't know if I always appreciated it at the time. I'd come out of this cool, young church plant. My husband had been in, like, two, three church plants. We wanted to do something really innovative and creative and reach a new generation and reach the unchurch. And I ended up in this very traditional church with policy teams and the most amount of committees I'd ever experienced in my life um, and mostly gray hair. And there were so many times I was like, what are we doing here? And then I've stayed for 17 years <laughs> um, and I never dreamed it. I never intended it. I never planned it. And, and through the years, people would say, you know, when will you leave? And I would say, well, God just hasn't called me away. But what I would say is what has happened in 17 years has been a beautiful gift. We're celebrating our 100th anniversary in uh, like two weeks. So it has been a very reflective time of looking back for me. And uh, the church has changed so dramatically in our time there. Um, I'm told uh, by a friend of mine who does this that, you know, we have led a turnaround congregation. So to be fair, our church is 100 years old. It has great roots. But three quarters to four-fifths of our church are in the last decade. And we didn't really see a lot of those incredible sort of uh, the fruit of some of the shifts we made 
really came in the last few years. So it has been a beautiful thing to see um, our church, um, which it was a wonderful church when we got there, um, but small and aging in many ways. It was definitely doing some innovative things to reach younger generations. Um, but it has it is very much a church now with huge age diversity, ethnic diversity, um, uh, continues to have this big open heart and many people have come to find Christ at our church. So we're still doing our thing, still holding on to, to who it is. I'm glad to be part of this long history, but I would say it's uh, it is an interesting thing to see what long-term uh, leadership and faithfulness can do coming out of the pandemic. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. It's complicated. Uh, when, when we met, so for those who don't know, I only met Jeff about a month ago at a Jesus collective gathering. And, you know, Jeff, you said something that really spoke to me at the time. And you said, I've been here for, I think 25 years, right? Just over 25. Yeah. And you and said, I think, and you said, and you said, and I've had four congregations. <laughs> Do you he, remember he that? Like you made this yeah. thing. You said, I've had yeah. four congregations. I've probably led four churches. Yeah. That's what you said. Yeah. And I thought, Oh, I feel that because coming out of the standing up in front of my congregation now is so disorienting um, because I don't, I don't recognize half the people, like so many people, you know, after two years, we had a lot of people move, had some people die. Um, we didn't have a lot of people kind of leave in a huff by any means, actually none left in a huff, but, and we have lots of new people. And so I look out on a Sunday and I'm like, I don't know half these people, which is so disorienting as a pastor. Mm-hmm even though it's exciting. And so I would exactly say the same thing with you. You know, I think I'm on congregation three and that that's interesting dynamic to be in. Have you felt the same coming out of the pandemic? Well, certainly we're in a, we call it like a replant restart. You know, it's like, it's like you're starting fresh. Some of the people obviously have have been long timers and returnees, but uh, you know, there is a, a, a sense even in the kind of things we're talking about and where we sense God leading us, like it's a, it is a new day. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. not necessarily entirely new people, but it's definitely a new day. Mm-hmm. I guess my, my follow-up question to, to your story, and I appreciate you helping us really enter into that, Leanne. Um, you, you mentioned you had this kind of calling to pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talk these days about, you know, whether church is relevant or, you know, people mm-hmm. are, Uh, becoming done with church who actually did a series on this in in September. Um, Where does your heart for the local church come from? I mean, I guess it can really only come from God, from the Holy spirit, which sounds cliche and a little hokey and, you know, very like maybe I'm trying to look impressive because there are so many times that I feel like I'm doing things wrong by, uh, really living as a pastor, so to speak. I, you know, many of us are familiar with that passage in scripture that talks about God calling some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be teachers and some to be shepherds. And I see so much the value of that apostle and pastor and evangelist. And and we all need to try and make space for those things in our lives. But I always come back to at the end of the day, um, God has made me this shepherd. And I think that there are things that are hard about that but there's so much beauty in it. And, and so to me, to journey with people in their stories and to be with them in their places of struggle, um, to be with them in their celebrations, you know, to, to, to baptize a 
a teenager that I dedicated as a child or to bury someone that I've journeyed with and I know their story and I love them is so beautiful and so sacred. Um, but I also see uh, that pastoring has such a place in actually building up those other pieces as well. And so sometimes I get really, I get sort of hard on myself because when you read all this leadership literature and you'll know this, Jeff, right? There's this whole thing about, you know, the lead pastor shouldn't spend too much time. Uh, you know, you need to focus on visioning, you need to focus on structures, you need to focus on tasks. And I like doing those things too. And there's almost this sort of negative, like, well, if you're, if you're visiting people in hospital, you should be getting someone else to do that. Or if you're journeying with someone on their spiritual faith, like maybe, you know, that's almost like a waste of your time. And so for me, it's always that balance of learning how to, you know, not have the church too centered on me as the main caregiver, but also recognizing this role of shepherding people. And so I read a book a while ago that uh, talked about the pastor uh, and the term that they use that I actually like a little bit shepherd. He said, well, we're not really the shepherd. We're more like the sheepdogs. And so his analogy was that, you know, we're there to help bring people to the shepherd. And I actually went and found this little carving. It's quite ugly. Actually, it wasn't very well done, but I found it in the store of a sheepdog that I have on my desk. And it reminds me that that's what I'm doing. I'm helping sort of bring people toward the shepherd. Um, in some cases, that's sort of like the people that have wandered away going out and, and trying to, to just kind of go around them again and bring them in. Sometimes it's as new people come in, it's making that space for them in the pen and learning how to keep teaching them what it means to be safe there. But it's always to bring them to the shepherd. Um, I'm not sure if that answers your question. No, that's terrific. And I, I think not only are our members tracking with that, but the other <laughs> leaders who listen and, and um, uh, kind of journey with us as Leaders Village uh, would really resonate with that. Uh, your 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 analogy of the sheepdog moving people towards the shepherd is very Jesus collective, Jesus centered <laughs> yeah. language, yes. and it, like you said, that's where we met about a month ago at a kind of a senior leader offsite. Uh, but we had some some of our staff uh, really become fans of yours when you spoke at the Unite conference back uh, in May uh, at a Jesus Collective right. event, and so. Uh, we've got a, a kind of a core fan base at Southridge already, uh, <laughs> ready for you to, to preach in a couple of weeks. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, the, because the galvanizing force of Jesus Collective is this Jesus-centeredness, what has that sort of meant to you? What have you understood about mm -hmm. Jesus-centeredness and why has that and Jesus Collective kind of uh, drawn you into that to a greater degree? Mm-hmm. I mean, what I can say is that at some point in my life, and I think it would be as a young adult, I grew up in the church. Uh, I grew up, you know, following all the rules. I was in, in a beautiful, loving, very legalistic church. Um, it was full of grace, but also full of rules. And, uh, you know, I worked very hard to follow those rules. And it was sort of a, in my high school years and then going into my young adult years that I can truthfully say, I just, I fell in love with Jesus. And, and there's moments that I can remember that kind of led me to that. But this profound sense of this, this person of Jesus, who is indeed God, God's very self, is worth following and is worth loving. And this is, this is the life I want to live and what he has done, live and the, what he has done for me is so powerful. And so I remember being 19 and working at the summer camp and we had this, someone had a CD 
of uh, old hymns that we used to love. I don't, we're all 19. We love this hymn CD. And the, one of the hymns on it was the song called I'd Rather Have Jesus. And it was Crystal Lewis singing. Maybe some of you remember that name. <laughs> and uh, it was the last song on the CD. And, and the old hymn says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. Um, I'd rather be led by his nail pierced hand. Um, and so it was all this frame where I have Jesus. And I used to listen to this song on repeat as I go to sleep, um, because it was just so, it was so profound to me, this sense of who Jesus was. I didn't know that was called being Jesus centered, um, until maybe a couple of years ago when, uh, Matt Miles, who at the time was, uh, big part of leading Jesus Collective sends me this email. We're, we're doing this thing called Jesus Collective. We have this group of leaders that come together specifically for something called the Theology Circle. Would you like to be on it? We're looking for Jesus-centered theologians. And I said, I am not a theologian and I'm not totally sure what you mean by Jesus-centered. And so um, as we talked more, he's like, oh yeah, you're fine on both counts. Just trust me, you're fine. I'm like, if you say so, sounds good. Um, so I start in this theology circle and I jump into these Jesus collective gatherings and suddenly go, Oh yeah. Like this is the thing I've thought my whole life that we have to start with Jesus. We have to look at who Jesus is to see who God is. We have to look at Jesus as the, the place that we begin to make sense of the other parts of our faith, because he is the one who's like, I am the way to the father and I am God. And so this is where we begin, which is always how I had been living in my ministry. I always say that, you know, my favorite sermons are the one to preach on Jesus. I, I confess I have to discipline myself to, to do the epistles sometimes, make sure I fit those in. I just want to talk about Jesus. Jesus all the time. Um, and so this, this is how I was somehow shaped even as a young person. And Jesus Collective has now given me, I guess, more of the language for something I, I felt and lived, but didn't really have those words for. Hmm. So in addition to being a personal journey of yours, knowing that mm -hmm. you've been a local church pastor in one setting <laughs> for these past 17 years, yeah. how does the journey towards Jesus-centeredness play out in a community context? Like what are some of the most significant implications to your church and to your people collectively to becoming Jesus-centered? What does that look like? I think it looks uh, different in some ways depending on the cohort that you're working with. So a couple different ideas come to mind. But for me, one of the big things is those who are seeking Christ for the first time or they're interested in faith, especially if they're struggling. And this is always where I go, you know, let's start with Jesus. And so if I may give an example, a few years ago, I ran a group called Cynical and Seeking and uh, invited some people kind of who are periphery to our church, or they might've been like maybe dating someone at the church or married to someone, or there was some reason that they were kind of coming, but they really had their walls up or some people invited friends. And we met regularly with this group that was cynical, very cynical about church, uh, but they were seeking. And I remember the first couple of meetings, I said, tell me all the reasons you're cynical. And they, they listed all the reasons they hated church and hated Christianity. And you can guess them, you know, they're mean to LGBTQ people. I hate their uh, uh, issues of evolution. It's, you know, they don't teach evolution, blah, blah, blah. So I remember they let it all out. We spent like three weeks on th maybe a month or more on the airing of grievances. And I said, thank you for sharing all that. And I remember saying, so here's what I'm going to invite us to do. Um, we're going to talk about Jesus because here's the deal. If Jesus wasn't who he said he was, 
what he had to say about all these things, what the Bible has to say about any of these things simply doesn't matter. <laughs> like if you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't, well, if you don't believe that Jesus was the son of God, if you don't believe he died and he rose again, you know, this is actually, we need to actually, why would we start with these questions? And I, I use an analogy that again, um, maybe you've heard Tim Keller uses and he talks about how if you dive in the shallow end of a pool, you'll scratch up your knees, you'll get hurt. But if you dive in the deep end and then you walk to the shallow end, you can walk around the shallow end without getting cut up. It's great, right? Maybe If you haven't heard that one, I suspect you'll want to use it. And so I was like, I don't want to dive in the shallow end. To be clear, I'm not saying those are shallow issues. They're important topics. They're very important to people. But they're not the heart of Christianity. <laughs> and so I said, we need to, we need to add, are you willing to jump in the deep end with me? Right. Um, and so then we spent like three months talking about Jesus and like, who is he? And what he's saying? What does he teach? Let's start there. Um, they all became Christians. They, and some of them are still wrestling with these topics and I baptized several of them. And it was because we were like, we got to start with Jesus. So that's what Jesus centered looked like there. And especially in seasons where so people are so cynical of church and so many things around that. And I really want to be clear that I'm not minimizing how important those things are, but starting with Jesus is so helpful. And then when you go to your long-term Christians, um, to use just another example, if you have the people that maybe they're a little bit kind of, kind of stuck <laughs> or kind of just a little bit, you know, weary, a bit stagnant, a bit like I'm trying to understand my faith. I'm trying to figure out, uh, some space for new life. I often, so often find that if we just say, let's just talk about Jesus again, let let's, let's grab a parable and talk about why he said that it, they're so profound. The things he said were absolutely incredible. Uh, let's look at how he treated people and, and talk about what you see in that and how that feels. And you see people come alive if they come back to their first love, right? When they look at who this Jesus is and they remember, right, this is why I do this. This is who I follow. And so I think that's how it plays out in our church. And I'm always trying to come back to what Jesus taught us and who Jesus is, right? And so when we're hitting those big issues, you know, we're saying, what, what, what did it look like when Jesus addressed this? How would Jesus respond in this? What do we see about who Jesus was? that speaks to these things every day in our lives, how you love people, tension that you're having with people you care about, how to deal with conflict, uh, how to care for the poor, where to spend our time, how to spend our money. What does Jesus say? And, and there's something so profound about the upside down kingdom that he invited us to that is still so appealing in our world um, because he recognized the truth. In addition to changing or reframing the conversations that I like how you're kind of distinguishing both, both audiences, is there anything else kind of programmatically or operationally as a community that you either had to shed from, I know the language in Jesus mm -hmm. collective uh, speak is, you know, the difference between bounded set and centered set. That's what we're into right now in this, mm -hmm. this bullseye series. So is there anything you had to shed and or launch? I love the idea of this short-term group, the cynical and seeking. I wonder. Oh yeah, take it. I can tell you all the, about uh, it. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> uh, well, I was scribbling down. And the, the title the, was a good one. <laughs> the best of a short-term group. We're just going to allow an airing of grievances. That was. Uh, oh, I, I oh yeah. And, and it was sort of like it went until the balloon died. Right. It was like, go. Yeah. And, yeah. and then it was just at some point there was nothing left to say. <laughs> nothing left, yeah. And it was like, yeah, we've else. heard it and I'm not going to try and fix it. And thank you for sharing all this pain and, and how hard this has been and just make space for that. And, and now we're what now? 
and it's okay. Let's talk about Jesus. Hmm. And yeah. Anything else though, that you would have either had to shed or had to launch to encourage or nurture a greater degree of Jesus centeredness. Well, looking back again, I didn't have that language, uh, bounded set centered set until even just a couple of years ago, but I can very much see that that was what I brought or was eager to bring to our church when I got there as, you know, this 27 year old lead pastor in this, uh, at the time, you know, 82 year old traditional church. And I think some of the initial shifts that we made, uh, my husband and I together, and again, the church was, was eager to be on this journey was a focus on, uh, mission which in the sense, and that might say, well, that's not, you know, what do you mean by Jesus? And what I mean by that is, you know, we're here to share the love of Jesus. And so some of the shift from trying to be a church that's sustaining itself for the sake of sustaining the church. So the shift from, we need more women to come and sit on the hospitality team so we can have sandwiches for the funerals, because that's what we always did to asking bigger questions, or we need new people to come because we need them to take over all the committees that we have. So the new people have to come because then they can, they can step onto our management team and our property team. And there was lots of good reasons people thought that because they wanted to sustain this community. They wanted to sustain this system. And I think one of our things that we slowly tried to lead through, which has taken, well, it took about a decade probably, was a shift to our goal isn't to sustain this thing. God's church will continue. Um, but this particular expression will always have to be about what Jesus is calling us to. So when we're reaching out a mission, it's to share the love of Jesus. It is not to make sure we have someone to help clean up the coffee after church because you're tired and you don't want to do it anymore and you need the young people to do it. It's not so we have more Sunday school teachers. It's not so someone will come and pave our driveway, you know, and, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. I don't know how, church, I think Southridge started as a church plant, I think you said. Uh, originally, uh, and then it yeah. was kind of a generational transfer. When, so some uh, of you will, will have no concept of, of life in, in a long-standing church, which is where God, again, for some reason, plunked me. And so that was that was some of the things we had to do early on. And so some of that shift in, in teaching, and to us, it was a lot about, um, of course, I could always lead the teaching in a particular way. Um, and that Teaching, I think the pastor before me had done that as well, really opened that door. But it was it was structural changes, and it was a focus to, we would rather have, can we make space for people to be in a small group instead of sitting on six committees in a week? Um, let's let's get some balance here so that people actually have time for their life with Jesus and to share Jesus with each other. It's interesting because we've asked, you know, what life are we inviting people into? And there is mm -hmm. a fundamentally different perspective between trying to invite and facilitate people experiencing more of the way of Jesus mm -hmm. versus contributing to the propagation of the operation of the church. Yeah. Those are two yeah. totally different pathways. Yeah. And it's been, uh, you know, almost like, kind of getting salmon to swim in a certain direction. Like it, 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 it's been a journey over the years trying to clarify and facilitate, yeah. first of all, the, the experiencing the way of Jesus pathway before, you know, you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're taking on more. So I, I really appreciate that comment. Well, and um, I think that, oh, I'm sorry. I, no, I was go just going to say, I think, that, and the first one is very fear-based, right? It's very like, we are afraid 
of our church um, not looking this way or not continuing or not having the things I want there. We are afraid. Um, and the unbounded set is often very fear-based. It's very much a fear of getting it wrong. And so the fear can trickle down in many ways. Whereas when we invite people to this this life centered on on Jesus, which of course is it. I mean, many people say, isn't that Christianity? Yes, it is. Like we're not creating a new Christianity here, right? It's um, it's it's moving out of that fear. It, it's it's even acknowledging, well, God knows what will happen with this church, and you see Jesus do that all the time, right? People would come, and they'd say you know, I want to follow you and say, okay, do this. And then they walk away. You know, there's so many cases of people walking away from Jesus and I'm always struck by him not chasing them. Not that it doesn't mean we reach out to people if they're struggling or what have you, but he doesn't chase them down. He doesn't chase them down and say, oh, never mind. I'm so sorry. You know, let me just modify what I said <laughs> because I'm so afraid I won't have enough disciples. Um, and I think so often that's, that's what a bounded set causes us to do. Oh, let, let's, we're so afraid of losing you. We're so afraid of losing this program or we're so afraid of losing this structure that we modify and we modify and we modify. And then somehow in the midst of it, it's easy to lose Jesus and lose Christ as the center. Hmm. Uh, we're going to wrap up soon, but I, I, there's one question I definitely wanted to get into knowing that yeah. coming out of the pandemic, so many people are kind of reevaluating. It feels like everything. And the yeah. big buzzword these days in spiritual circles is deconstruction. How mm -hmm. does how does that experience for people um, be served through a community and through teaching that is seeking to be Jesus-centered? How does Jesus-centeredness help the person who's in the midst of deconstructing everything? Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting. And I, I really want to, I hope I will not sound uh, arrogant or condescending when I say this, but I sort of smile when I hear everyone say deconstruction is new because that's what me and my friends were all doing in our early twenties. And so, you know, when I was part of these church plants, we were using that term then, and we were trying to tear it all down. You know, we just, we, we didn't want systems. We didn't want structures. We didn't want church the way it was. We were going to go, we were going to find this new way to do things. And I did spend so much of my young twenties unpacking and tearing down brick by brick, a faith that had been built up in a way that was shaky. And so I say that not to say, Oh, was, you know, Oh, there's nothing new under the sun. And we've all been there and done that. I say that to say, I actually understand deconstruction and I think it is profoundly important. It is so significant. And I'm so glad I went through that season of sort of letting God blow it up. But I, I remember even being in that church saying, you know, we were this young group of people in our twenties and we were deconstructing everything. And even then God had laid something in my heart and he was, and I would say, but what are we building? And I'd say, we can't just tear it all down if we're not reconstructing. That was the language I was like, but what are we reconstructing? And we actually struggled to figure that out. That church didn't ultimately last and, and that's okay. Most of them are out in other places. That was the season. And so we had this season of sort of tearing it all down and then going, well, what now? What now? And, um, and I understand that feeling. And, and of course, this is why when I suddenly step into this place with, you know, all these formalities, I, I'm just feeling like a fish out of water. Um, but then what happened was God showed me this profound beauty of a church that has been faithful and continuing to, to seek to do this, you know, in ways that they didn't recognize. And I remember in this church plant that I was in, you know, our big focus is such a big focus on building community, building community. That was the big buzzword of the early 2000s. And then I got to this church of like mostly 60 to 80 plus age group. 
And I was like, they do community better than our church plant did. This can't be right. Like this, because, and they were doing mission better. Like, and, and I, I didn't realize that because, you know, we were big on, you know, parties in the park and doing these innovative things. We were, we'd been in cloister communities. We're like, we're going to reach out. And then I joined this beautiful community church where everyone in the church, um, you know, led their local baseball team or was the chair of their local school board, or they ran their local community associations. I was like, these people are in their community better than I've been for the last five years saying this is exactly what I want to do. But they didn't always have the language to see that as God's mission. And so when these worlds came together, um, I think God was able to do something really beautiful there. And so in this world of deconstruction, we say, well, where does the church even fit? Well, the truth is the church will continue because God's people are the church. But even this space of structural institutions for lack of a better term, I don't really want to use the word institution, but these communities of people seeking to find God together will still be the best place that we can experience who Jesus is. Because that's how scripture, that, that's what Jesus called it. Jesus was a community builder. He brought people into communities that were two or three are gathered there. Am I with them? And so there was still something so profound about saying, we're going to come and learn to do this together. And so my era of deconstruction, it looked like being with we're just sharing all these frustrations. We're so mad. We're taking this down. We're not doing this. And then somehow it came back to seeing beauty in this absolute, this thing that I would have hated to think I was a part of a couple of years before that. And then seeing, well, God is actually here too. And Jesus is working here. And if I keep focus on focusing on where Jesus is and what Jesus is doing and what Jesus has called me to, there's space for that in all these things. I might have gone a little off the track with what you were asking me there. No, it's my perfect. mind had answered your question. <laughs> and, I hope it did. <laughs> at the very least, at the very least, you've whet the appetite of our people who are going to want to hear more. So for Southridge members, uh, Leanne is going to be contributing to our Bullseye series on November 14th. You are not going to want to miss that morning. And uh, if you want to know more, uh, for leaders listening as well, uh, you can find her. You've got your own website, right? LeanneFriesen.com. Is that right? Yeah, I haven't written there in a bit. I need to update it a bit. But yeah, I've got lots of my old writings there for sure. As yeah. well as Ma Mount Hamilton Baptist Church. You can check that out online. So yeah. Yeah, uh, Leanne, really thanks good. so much for being here. Really appreciate uh, you uh, not just tracking with our church, but even contributing in a couple of weeks. And all the best in the 100th anniversary of your community. Yes, That's just a fun. phenomenal miracle story <laughs> celebration. I hope that you can really make the most of that. Awesome. Thank you. It's sure. great to be here. And uh, to all of you who've tracked with us, uh, thanks for joining us. We'll see you in around seven days' time as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everybody.